0: Turn in your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 16 this morning. Second Samuel chapter 16. Let me welcome all of our visitors here today. Man, what a blessing to have you here. You probably drove past a dozen churches before you pulled in our parking lot. and We don't take that for granted. We're honored that you're here today. I thought we was going to have a good church, and then Jim brought up Tennessee football. <laughs> and I thought, well, there it went. Amen. But that's all right. We can rejoice anyway. I tell you, I've done give up on victory on the football field. Uh, But that's okay. I found victory in Christ, Amen. And uh, He don't ever have an off day, Amen. And uh, He don't, He don't. There ain't never a bad call, Amen. He just, He always has victory. So I figure it's just safer to go with Him, Amen. All right, Second Samuel chapter number sixteen, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number five. Second Samuel chapter sixteen, verse number five. The word of God says, "When King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei." the son of Gira. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai, And all his servants, behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. What a blessing to be in your house today. Now, Lord, I'm, I'm so honored and proud by every one of these people that are here today. Lord, it encourages me. But Lord, even with all them here, if you don't show up, uh, it'll all have been for naught. And so I pray, Father... Uh, that your presence would be powerful here, be manifest, have liberty, Lord, and uh, that you would uh, your sweet holy spirit would have the free reigning course to just walk these pews, speak to hearts, deal with people according to thine own will, and Lord, that you would uh, grant unto us that that knowledge, that awareness of our standing with you, show us, Lord, if we have aught with thee, and Lord, there could be it wouldn't be a surprise in a group this size to know that there could be one that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, and Lord, I pray that before we're done today, that they would have come face to face with Calvary, with the uh, with the fate, uh, with uh, the destination of their soul, and that Lord, they will not turn you away, but that they will receive you as their Savior, that they would be everlastingly saved. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, your grace. We thank you for the Word of God, and we ask that you'd work today in Christ's name. Amen. We've been preaching sort of intermittently, a little on and off, over the past uh, you know couple of weeks. Well, to be honest with you, for the past eleven years, my preaching's been on and off. Somebody say Amen. But we've been preaching on and off on a sort of uh, vein of thought, a a theme, if you will. We're not calling it a series because then people expect you to preach all of them. So we're just sort of preaching on a certain idea, uh, and it really begins back in chapter fifteen of Second Samuel. It begins with the story of David, who, of course, is the rightful king over Israel. uh, And he is displaced. He is rejected by Israel. He is, we could say, kicked off of his throne by his rebellious son, Absalom. And Absalom is now reigning in his stead. Uh, He is uh, forced to flee from Jerusalem. And he spends a season uh, outside of the city in hiding in the wilderness. Well, when we uh, come down to chapter 19, we find that the king comes back. He returns. And I would just say this, people's attitude towards him coming is very different from their attitude towards him going. Uh, they change their disposition and their attitude in light of his coming. And, you know, when I read this passage of Scripture, I begin to see in it maybe some similarities to the day that we're living in now. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, for instance, back in chapter 15, listen to what it says down in verse 14. David said unto all his servants that there were, with, that were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. Verse 17 says this, the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place That was far off. In other words, we could say this. This is a time when in Israel, the rightful king has been rejected. David is the rightful king. He's God's king. He's God's anointed. But he has been rejected. He has been expelled. He has been disdained by the people. You know, that sort of reminds me of the world we're living in today. How many many of you know the Bible says this, that Jesus Christ, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it don't ask your opinion or mine about it it's not up to a vote, it's not up to a recall, it's not up to a poll. He is the king, He is the authority, He is the rightful authority over this world. Hey, all things were made by Him and for Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He is the God of all creation, that in all things He might have the preeminence. He is the king, whether we like it or not. This world doesn't accept Him as king. And it has rejected him. That rejection really was uh, was most palpably seen at Calvary's hill when he died in uh, man's place, died for man's sin. God, robed in flesh, came to earth. And when man could have uh, could have accepted him, he came under his own, but his own received him not. He uh, made the world, uh, but when he came into the world, the world knew him not. They rejected him as their king. You say, preacher, well, if he's not ruling, who is? Well, the Bible says in verse 13 of chapter 15 that there came a messenger to David saying this, the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. Absalom is a pretender to the throne. He is a rebel. Uh, he, He has no right. He has no claim on that throne. You know why, boy, I like this? Because David wasn't dead yet. Absalom had no place on the throne because David wasn't dead yet. And you say, preacher, what does that remind us of? Well, just like today, not only was the rightful king rejected, but a rebel king was ruling. You know, the Bible teaches us that today, and uh, this is plain to see when we look at the world around us, uh, that all of the heartbreak and all of the devastation, all of the turmoil, all of the rage, all of the violence, you can't lay that at God's feet. Hey, God has done everything He can to save man, to redeem man, to change man, to sanctify man. Man has rejected Him, and the work you see around does is the work of the God that rules this world right now. The Bible calls him, uh, the devil says that he is the God of this world. Now he's not a rightful king, and let me say this, he'll never be a a rightful king when the rightful king's still living. How many of you know this to be true? When Christ rose from the dead, he rose to die no more. (laughs) There ain't never going to be a time when the devil is legitimate. Hey, they can take all the votes, they can ratify it, they can uh, certify it, but it ain't never going to make the devil the true and genuine God. He is a pretender uh, that is sitting on the throne. A time when the rebel king is ruling. But I like what it says down in chapter 19. We're sort of skipping ahead to the end. That's a blessing of have in the Word of God. You can skip to the end. And listen to what it says down in verse 15. Just one simple phrase here. It says, so the king returned. Yes. David didn't stay gone forever. Yes. Hey, they may have rejected him. They may have despised him. They may have scorned him. A rebel king may have sat on the throne. But pretty soon we learn this. The rejected king, He was returning. He came back. He had defeated the rebel king and he came back to assume his place on the throne. You might be tempted to say, well, preacher, surely there was nobody that really loved David that really cared about him during this time of his exile or they would have shown it. Well, I'm glad you asked that question that I asked for you because verse 15 of the 15th chapter says this, that after David hears of this and he says we've got to flee, we've got to run from Absalom. Listen, I like this. Verse 15 says, the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my Lord the King shall appoint. We may be living in a world that has rejected the rightful king, that hates the rightful king, that despises the things of Christ. And you say, well, preach, that's harsh language. No, that's Christ's language. Amen. He says, the world hateth me and it's going to hate you because of that. In a world that hates Christ, there's still some that love him. In a world that rejected the rightful king and that bows to the rebel king, there are still some that are living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I'm glad to know I can still live for Him. In their mind, they said three things here. Number one, they said their station was unchanged. I like this. They said the king's servants said unto the king. Uh, They didn't say the former king's servants say unto the former king. They didn't say the former king's former servants say unto the former king. Uh, They didn't say the servants uh, formerly known as the king's servants they said, hey, this ain't changed nothing for us. We're still the king's servants. And I say, listen, uh, you were bought with a price at Calvary and your loyalty ought to lie with the Lord Jesus Christ above and beyond all things. I say, preacher, it ain't popular. Well, it never was. Did you expect it to be? Preacher, it ain't easy. Never was. Did you expect it to be? Here's the truth. Your station remains unchanged. Not only that, their steadfastness was unwavering. They said this, thy servants are ready. I want to be a ready servant. Listen, I want to be somebody that the Lord can call on and He don't have to chase me down like Jonah and swallow me up with a fish. I, I want to be ready to serve Him no matter what. And then I see their service was unconditional. They said to do whatsoever, my Lord the King shall appoint. Nothing is too much to ask. You name it, King, and we're here to serve. At your pleasure. So there's some that are still serving Him. And when we read through these chapters in the Word of God, we find not just a general description, but actually the Word of God goes into great detail about several different individuals and what their response was. Now here's what I want you to be thinking about. Our rightful king has been rejected by this world. He's gone into a far country. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's hidden away from the visible eye of this world. But he is still the rightful king. It is still his throne. Uh, And certainly he is the rightful king over the throne of your heart and my heart. Now the Word of God promises he's coming back. (laughs) Promises that he's going to come again. In fact, that's the next thing on God's prophetic calendar. We're waiting, waiting for the rapture of the church. Now let me ask you this. You know he's coming back. How are you living in light of that? We've named this little series, The King is Coming Back. And I wonder, in light of the fact that our King is coming back, how are you living? Uh, in regards to that truth, we looked at several people. We looked at a man named Itai the Gittite, and he was faithful to follow. We uh, looked at a uh, another man uh, that uh, it's not Hushai the Archite. Uh, it's left me already. Ken knows; he'll text it to you later. But that man was uh, was uh, conquering through his counsel. Zadok the high priest was count, conquering through his counsel. He's left behind uh, so that he could be a, a witness. And then, but this morning, I want you to notice with me the man that we've read about. He is a man by the name of Shimei. Now, oftentimes names bear significance in the Word of God. And I suppose Shimei's could. His name means famed or famous. Uh, and certainly his actions betray a man that wants folks to pay attention to him. He comes out when uh, David is being sort of marched out of the city, is fleeing for his life. And he comes out and he begins to curse David. He begins to throw rocks at David. He begins to berate and rail upon David. He is a man that acted in an ugly, cruel, and foolish way. We'll find before we're done today, it didn't stay in that shape. There was a change that took place. But he is a crude and foolish man when we see him. We could say this, that his story could be summed up in four statements. Number one, we could say this, he is a cursing man. He is a man that hates the rightful king. He despises David. You might say, preacher, why is that? Well, the Bible says he was of the house of Saul. And can I just make this statement? Hey, when you're, when you're of the house of Saul, you ain't going to love David. When you're of the house of Saul, you ain't going to love David. Uh, there's a whole lot of people we're trying to get vi- revived. they ain't never been revived. Uh, the Bible tells us this, and, and I'm not one of these people that looks around and sees, some, sees a hypocrite under every every hymnal laying on every pew. I'm not saying that. I'm not one of these people that I hear preachers say sometimes, well, our churches are full of nothing but lost people. I thought, well, bless God, maybe yours. I hope mine ain't. Amen? <laughs> but I will say this. There, there is an attempt through cultural Christianity and cultural pressure to try to uh, renovate people that ain't been regenerated. Uh, when you're the house of Saul, you ain't going to love David. And so he comes out and, and and he is not aligned with the rightful king. He's not aligned with David. And so he begins to curse him. He is a cursing man filled with rage and anger. But when we look a little closer, we could say this. Not only is he a cursing man, but he is a cursed man. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, he is a man that though he is hurling the curses at others, there is actually a curse over his own life. So how do you know that, preacher? Well, I would say it in three ways. He's cursed, number one, by his lineage. He is a member of a failed household that is doomed to destruction. Can I say that the lost individual today, uh, irrespective of his morality, irrespective of his attempts at, at feigning some kind of goodness, is a, uh, is a member of a dying household, of a cursed, condemned household. Hey, listen, uh, the race of mankind, apart from the uh, saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't clean it up, you can't paint it up, you can't regenerate or change it or renovate or rehabilitate it. They are irredeemably lost outside of the only Redeemer, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was part of the wrong household. His household was destined for destruction. Not only that, he's cursed by the lineage, but he's cursed by the law. So, said, preacher, how do you know that? Well, because he's coming out and he, he is laying charge against God's anointed. He is transgressing the Word of God by his very actions. So he is not just cursed by his nature, what he was born into, but he is likewise cursed by his actions as well. Boy, it sounds like a lost man, doesn't it? Sounds like the natural condition of mankind. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That death passed upon all men. Here's the reality. A sinner doesn't become a sinner when he sins. A sinner sins because he's a sinner in the first place. But you mark her down. The fact that he is a sinner will always produce sin in his life. We are sinners by nature. That is our condition. Uh, but it always bears uh unholy fruit in our life. He's cursed by the law, but then I would say this, he's cursed by the Lord. So preacher, why is that? Because he had aligned himself against the rightful and chosen king over Israel. Can I say that the lost man, he is cursed uh, because of his nature. He is born lost. He doesn't become lost. He is born lost and he is cursed By the law, by the Word of God, because his life, there's testimony to that lack of life within him and he behaves in such a way that is contrary to the Word of God. But let me say this, not only is he cursed because of that, but he's cursed because he's on the wrong side of Calvary when he's born. He's standing on the side that's casting rocks, not on the side that's casting their burdens. He's standing in opposition, not standing in contrition. And the lost man, until he allows his heart will and spirit to be broken and bows himself in submission to God, he's going to stay on that lost side of the cross of Calvary. So he is a man, Shimei is, that is, cursing. He is a cursed man. But we learn down in chapter 19, I'm not going to say a lot about it because I'm going to preach it here in a moment. I've am got a sermon to preach here in a moment. But I see he is a contrite man. He changes his behavior. When when he sees the king really is coming back, he changes his behavior. And you know what I find? I find by the time we come to close the message, we'll see he's a converted man. Can I say this? Just because you start out wrong don't mean you gotta stay wrong. All of us start out wrong. We're all born in sin, but we don't have to stay in that condition. Hey, we can be born again. You say, preacher, I was born messed up. We'll get born again. I say, preacher, you don't understand what I was, uh, the kind of family I was born into. I, I mean, I was born into a messed up family, so get born again. All of mankind was born into a messed up family. All of Adam's children are broken and sin-cursed. Uh, you say, what can God do about that? He can uh, give us new birth. We can be born again, changed, transformed by the grace of God. We don't have to stay in that broken condition. When we read the story of Shimei, we could say this, that in our text we see three powerful scenes, and I want you to notice them with me and think about the implications uh, for our world. Number one, let me say we see the petulant cursor when we read Shimei's story. The very first thing that we read about him is uh, in verse number 5. It says, Shimei, the son of Gera, he came forth and cursed still as he came. He is defined as a man that is a hater of King David. I know that oftentimes we try to dress up a person's lost condition and make excuses for the fact that they live the way they do. And I understand that a lost person may not necessarily bear any personal malice or ill will towards God in a fully uh, formulated, embodied way. You know, they may not sit there and think, oh, how I hate God. But understand this, that sin-cursed nature within us does hate God. Hates everything about God. And when we see Shimei, we we see this hatred. We see this despising and disdain for David. We could note a few things. One, we see his aggression. The Bible says, uh, first, the insult of his cursing. He cursed as he came. Uh, we could say this, it's defined as spite. As personal animus and hatred towards God. Have you ever noticed how quickly a lost person is to blame their brokenness on God? Have you ever noticed how quickly it is that a lost person will robe themselves in, in their victimhood and in their circumstances and say, oh, how unfair God has been to me. Well, Shimei was this way. He came out and he said, David is the source of all my problems. I see not only the insult of his cursing, I see the injury of his casting. The Bible says this, he cast stones at David. You say, preacher, what does that mean? And listen, you may not, you may not accept what I'm about to say, but I'm in the pulpit, so I'm going to say it. Uh, but when I think of this casting of stones, it sort of reminds me of what our sin does to Christ. Uh, It reminds me of how our sin hurts Him and buffets Him and and grieves Him. You know, every single one of those blows that land upon Him at Calvary's Hill uh, by the uh, fists of angry and hate-filled men, uh, they didn't happen just because those men were filled with hate. They happened because of your sin and my sin. He was in that place bearing our sin. And so there's a real strong correlation between this idea of casting stones. Whenever they would cast stones at someone, it was a judicial statement. That was the traditional way that in Israel they would condemn a man and put a man to death uh, for his crimes. And when he casts stones at David, what he's doing is casting them in judgment, casting them in spite, casting them in hatred. And it reminds me that our sin does the very same thing to God. Not only that, I see the inclusion of his companions. So I see not only his spite and his sin, but I see his scorn. It says, and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand, on, on his left. He didn't just hate the king, he hated those that loved the king. It annoyed him that anybody would stand with King David. He didn't say, I'm going to really just zero in and be careful. I don't want to hit nobody but David now. No, instead, he said, if you're standing with David, I'll throw rocks at you. And isn't it interesting that the world, because it can't put Christ on a cross anymore, for 2,000 years it's been trying to put Christians on one. Because it cannot grab hold of the immaculate Son of God and make Him bleed again. It's been grabbing hold of believers and trying to make believers bleed. And I would just say that that aggression embodies the uh, the hatred that often resides in the lost heart. Notice not only his aggression, notice his appraisal. He says this to David, Thus said Shimei when he cursed, uh, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of beard. This is what he thought of David. He looked at him and he didn't see uh, the darling sweet psalmist of Israel. He didn't see the faithful king uh, over Israel. He didn't see God's shepherd king. Instead, this is what he thought. Number one, he judged him cruel. He called him a bloody man. In other words, he's saying you're a man that is filled with blood. You have blood on your hands. All of the violence and all of the destruction that has happened to my household is due to you, King David, and you have the blood of my ancestors on your hands. Isn't it interesting? We could say this. He judged him as unkind. He said, David, if you were a better king, you wouldn't let this happen to me. How often does the lost person in frustration, in naivety, cry out to God and say, Hey, God, if you were so good, you wouldn't let this happen to me. Can I remind you, God wasn't the one that did that to you. Uh, the 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 curse of sin in this world produces the heartache. God's the one that's trying to save you. God the one is the one that's trying to redeem you. It's like a man that finds himself adrift in the ocean and is flailing and is drowning and someone swims out to try to save him and they begin to fight against him. What if they were to look at that person and say, you swum out here to drown me? Wouldn't that be foolish? I know I said swum. Get over it. You're in East Tennessee. Look at me all high-minded. Like you're going... Like you're going to spell check my sermon notes? I'm going to say it again to spite you. Swum out there to save him. He's the one that went out there to save him. You know, that's what a lost man does when he looks at God. A lost man looks at God and says, all my problems in life are your fault. You've got my blood on your hands. Here's the truth. He's the one that swum out to try to save you in the first place. Not only he judged him cruel, but he calls him a man of Belial. Now that's interesting. A manabelial was sort of a colloquial term, like kind of a kind of a slang term for someone that was a criminal. Someone that was a you know, we can just call him like a scuzzy person. I don't know if that's grammatically correct either, but I'm gonna call it. In other words, someone that, that is of low character. In other words, he looked at him and he called him not just unkind, but he called him unfair, unjust. He looked at him and said, You're not a man that appreciates justice and righteousness. You are a self-serving individual. Don't you start to get the idea that he looked at God the way that great many today look at God. I see not only his appraisal, I see his accusations. I'm not going to dwell on this. I got too much sermon to preach, but he, uh, notice what he says in verse 8. He says, the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul in whose stead thou hast reigned. Here's what he accused David of. He, he called him defiled. Uh, That he was sinful and guilty of wrong. And you know, it's funny, the sinner views God as imperfect, flawed, and defiled just like he is. That's part of the way that a lost person maintains their defiance and rebellion against God is they say essentially this, You're no better than I am. You're no more righteous than I am. When a man sees God's righteousness for what it is, it breaks him. When he sees his holiness for what it is, it changes him. And the lost man instead has to picture God as being defiled. Then he said this, The Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. In other words, he saw him not only as defiled, but as defeated. He said, You're on the wrong side of this, David. Absalom is the true king. He's the righteous king. He's going to rule forever. Man, it's good they didn't have Twitter back then. Somebody say amen to that. That didn't age well, did it? Didn't take long. And he was now on the losing side. And You know, I thought about this. uh, The the sinner that rejects God, he does so based on the assumption that he will ultimately prevail over God and his authority. Now, I'm not saying a lost man thinks about that. I'm not saying a lost man sits there and thinks, well, I'm going to beat God one day. But he operates on the assumption that never will he be called into account over his rejecting of Christ. That somehow, way, somebody's going to kick God off his throne and he's never going to have to give an answer for his life and his lost condition. Then he says this, Behold, thou art taken in thy mischief because thou art a bloody man, that God was deserving. That's really what it boils down to. The lost person essentially says this, I may be deserving of hell, but God's deserving of my hate. He casts things in such a way in his own mind, he he develops this whole tapestry of tissue paper, whereas he can sit back and say, maybe I'm broken, maybe I'm messed up, maybe I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm that way because of God, and I'm sure enough not going to go to God and ask for help. Is that really who God is? Is that really who this king was? Notice we see not only the petulant cursor, but we see a picture of Calvary here. Say, preacher, I didn't read anything about Calvary. Well, I did. Notice what we see here. Look at verse 9. The Bible says this, Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. I see the sentence that was passed on Shimei. What was David going to do in light of it? Well, if Abishai had got his way, we know what would have happened. Shimei, by the law, would have been condemned to death. Notice his description. I thought this was interesting. He calls him a dead dog. Now, it's bad to be a dog, but it's real bad to be a dead dog. It communicates and conveys the idea of total worthlessness. made me think of Ephesians chapter 2 because... In more descript language, this is sort of how God describes the lost man. It says this in Ephesians 2 verse 1, you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Abishai says, he's dead already, but let me go make him deader. Amen. He's already a dead dog. So what kind of death is he talking about? He's saying he is spiritually dead. Uh, He is uh, mentally dead. Uh, He is relationally dead already. He's just a dead dog. He's got no relationship with God. You say, preacher, that's offensive. Maybe to you, maybe to me, maybe to our flesh. But it's true. You know, God's main contention with a lost man is not that he's immoral. God saves all kinds of people that turn out to be immoral. God saves all kinds of people that live in rebellion. God's problem with a lost man is not that he's immoral, it's that he's dead. He's dead in his sins. And except he be given new life, he can't live and know God. Now I see uh, Ephesians says, You have to be quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What about that dog? He called him a dog. Well, that's a name kind of for a Gentile in the Jewish mind. I mean, that was in the Word of God. That's how they thought of Gentiles. And listen to what it says in Ephesians 2, Wherein in times past ye walked. Talking about those trespasses and sins. Ye walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Listen to what it says. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, a dog just does what a dog do. I mean, a dog doesn't give much thought to what they do. They just do what is natural and impulsive to them. Kind of like Shimei, kind of like the lost man. Dead in trespasses and sins and living just according to the dictates of the flesh. Notice not only his description, but his condemnation. I, I like Abishai. I know David had a problem with him here, but I liked him. I mean, he, I, I would want him for a deacon. He says this, let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. In other words, he deserves to die for this. How dare he curse the rightful king and get away with it? He ought to die for this. You say, preacher, that's terrible. Yeah, but it's the shape that a lost person's in too. Because the Bible says this, and I could read you a thousand verses, but let me just read you one you could probably quote to me. Romans 6:23 says, this the wages of sin is death. Hey, listen, lust when it hath conceived, bring forth sin. sin when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. The problem with a lost person is they are spiritually dead, and they're hastening towards an eternal, uh, a, an eternal, lasting condition of deadness if they leave this life in that dead situation. I see the sentence that was passed. and Notice how David responds. Man, I love this. King, The king said, verse 10, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerah? So let him curse because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? Now, David's a better man than me, at least in this passage he is. Because I would have said, Here's your sword. I would have said, Go take his head off. I would have said, see if you can miss the first swap or two. But David doesn't respond that way. David instead, in him we see the selflessness that was portrayed of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing what he says. Number one, we see the bearing of the curse. He says this, it's not Shimei that's cursing me. It's God that's cursing me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Because you know that's exactly what the Bible teaches us about what Christ did for us on Calvary. You say, but preacher, you don't understand it was my sin, it was your sin. Yes, but who said he was to answer for your sin and my sin? The Bible tells me this, that God so loved the world, you quote it with me, that he gave. Not that he had taken from him, but that he gave his only begotten son. that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's the truth of the matter. I understand it was it was Jewish minds that conspired. It was Roman hammers that drove the nails. It was your sin. It was my sin uh, that He went to the cross for. But you understand this. Uh, If He hadn't wanted to go, if He hadn't been willing to go, uh, couldn't all the armies of the world put Him on that cross? I mean, all the military might uh, that was accumulated from the beginning of time till now couldn't have moved Him an inch had He not set His face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He says, God put me here. And then notice what he says. Now here's a man, Shimei, that is a cursed man. And you would think as a cursed man, he would come and plead for David to to uh, pardon him and to expunge his record. But instead, here's what he does. As a cursed man, he comes and he hurls curses at the rightful king. You would think the rightful king would come and say, I don't have to listen to you. You're an outlaw. You're a cursed man. You're a condemned man already. Instead, here's what he says. He said, just go ahead and put that curse on me. You're a cursed man with cursing lips, but I'll take your curse for you and I'll bear it in your place. You know, that's what the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter number 3. <laughs> that God hath made Him to be our curse for us. Instead of saying, Hashimiah, you deserve to die. You're going to bear the punishment for your curse. He says, I'll bear the shame of your cursing. I'll become your curse in your place. And just go ahead and just pour it on me. I see the bearing of the curse. I see the betrayal of it. He says this in verse 11. David looked at Abishai and this is what he said. And all his servants, behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse for the Lord hath bidden. He said this. Not only have I been rejected by this Benjamite, I've been rejected by my own kin as well. You know, the Bible tells us that at the cross of Calvary, we see not only Christ bearing this curse, but we see that part of that involved the betrayal of His uh, kin. The Bible says in John 1.10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not, the Gentiles rejected Him. Then in verse 11 it says He came unto His own, and His own received Him not, the Jews rejected Him as well. He was a rejected king on the cross of Calvary forsaken by all, forsaken even by God Himself. Uh, why Why did that happen? Well, <laughs> I didn't quote this, but it's too good, so I'm going to go back and quote it anyway and you can catch up. Uh, we was talking about that bearing of the curse. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us. Why did God turn His back on His beloved Son? Because He hath been made sin for you and I. He became that curse. But then I like what He says in verse 12. This reminds me of Calvary too. He says this, It may be, that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for His cursing this day. He looks at Abishai and he says, Listen, I know Shimei ain't nothing but a dead dog. I know that probably I have every right as a king to ask for his head and to demand justice. But I don't want justice today. I want mercy. And so though he is a cursed man and though he is a cursing man and though he hates me and though he despises me, I'll just go ahead and let him pour that curse on me. And I'll become his curse. And I'll bear his shame. And I'll bear his reproach. And I might as well, because I'm bearing it for all of the rest of the world as well. And he says, here's why I'm doing it. I'm trusting that God's going to look down at me bearing this curse today. And he's going to say, hey, I can bring a blessing out of that. You say, preacher, what was the blessing all about? Well, listen to what it says in Isaiah 53.10. Remember David said he'll look on my affliction And He'll bless me. He'll look on my affliction and He'll requite me good. Did He do that, Brother Charlie? The Bible says in Isaiah 53.10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Talking about the Lord Jesus, He hath put Him to grief when thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin. He shall see His seed. He shall prolong His days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. He shall see the travail of His soul shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Uh, God the Father looked down at the brutality of Calvary, at Jesus Christ being made sin for us, and his transgressed, trespassed, offended holiness was satisfied. Then he looked forward and he saw the untold masses upon whom that salvation would be poured, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Not because he didn't love him, because he said, oh, there's going to be a whole lot of blessing that's going to come out of this cursing today. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12:2. looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. You better believe they looked at Calvary, but then they looked past Calvary, and they saw the salvation that would be made available for all mankind. And that's why He went to the cross of Calvary. We see salvation, uh the, uh, the selflessness portrayed. You say, well, surely whenever Shimei I saw this, He fell down and got... Uh, got right with David. and no, always see the scornful persistence. Verse 13, David and his men went by the way. Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went threw stones at him and cast dust. said, Preacher, I don't understand that. Well, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand it either. He looked love full in the face. He tasted of the mercy of the rightful king. And he rejected him just the same. I don't understand how that's possible. I don't know how a man could understand how lost and condemned he was and then see how free and full salvation is and turn around and walk away and keep hating God. The I did it and sadly, there's a lot that do it today. There could be in, in this congregation today somebody making that choice right now. You know that Christ died for your sin. You know you're lost. You know you need to get saved. You know you need to get born again. You know that He loves you, but you choose to persist. In your rebellion. Then I see verse 14. You say, preacher, that must just tore them up from the floor up. No. Verse number 14 says this. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary (laughs) and refreshed themselves there. I see the salvation in this picture. Uh, You know Shimei could have got refreshed there too. But he chose not to. And can I just say this and I'm going to move on. I've got to get through this introduction, Brother Ken. Some of y'all went... Can I, can I just say to you, for 2,000 years, people weary people have been coming by that hillside and getting refreshed. Can I say that if you come weary to the cross of Calvary today, you won't leave still weary. You'll leave refreshed by the salvation that's given. Is that where the story ends for Shimei? Well, no, it's not. Uh, we learn that he persisted in this rebellion. But then one day, somebody came to him and said, Did you hear Shimei? He said, no, I, I hadn't heard nothing. What happened? They said, Absalom's dead. Not only is Absalom dead, but King David, he's coming back. That got Shimei's attention. He wasn't too worried when he thought that David was on the run, but now he's found out the king's coming back. And he's worried, what's going to happen to me when the king comes back? Well, listen to what it says down in 2 Samuel 19. Flip a few pages over there. What happened? We could, we could put it under this heading, the pardon on the contrite. Shimei, he got to thinking about that thing, and he said, boy, I better do something about this. I don't want to meet the king on bad terms. And so the Bible says in verse 15 of chapter 19, the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gerah, of Benjamite, which was of Bahurim, hasted, and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Can I say this? When you're thoroughly convinced that he's coming back, you'll haste. You won't put it off till next Sunday. You won't put it off till you get home sitting in the recliner. You'll haste because you know he could come back at any moment. He said, David can come over that hillside at any moment. I better get right now. What happened? Well, notice we see three things here. One we see is repentance. Look down at verse 18. The Bible says this, Shimei the son of Gereth fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan. He repented before King David. This was shown number one by his submission. Before he's standing up, bowed up against David, defiant and angry at him. Now the king's coming back. He changes his attitude. And what does he do? He falls on his face before him. Uh, Hey, listen, here's the reality. We all talk about the ground being level at the foot of the cross, right? The ground's level. That only matters if people are going to get down on their knees in the first place. Uh, Part of it, and the reason a great many people die in their sins is they're too prideful to admit they're lost in the first place. They want this weird ethno-cultural Jesus that that comes just to cheer them on through life. They don't want a Redeemer. They don't want a Savior. And let me say this, if you're not a sinner, you don't need a Savior. Uh, But if you need a Savior, you better believe it's because first and foremost, you're a sinner in need of redemption. He submits Himself. We see His submission. We see His confession. Verse 19. He said to the king, what did he tell him? Well, we notice he confessed sort of three things. Number one, he confessed the guilt of his sin. He said, let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me. Those are distinctly judicial terms. He's talking about transgressing the law of the king and the law of God. And he's saying this, you have every right, David, to count me guilty. And I admit my guilt before you. When a person gets born again, the very first thing they do is they see themselves as guilty before God. And they confess that guilt before the Lord. I'm not saying it has to be in an audible sense. I'm not saying you have to say the word somebody else said. But you're never going to get saved until you're willing to admit that you're guilty in the first place. He confessed the guilt of his sin. Notice then he says this, Neither do thou remember, verse 19, that which thy servant did perversely the day that my Lord the King went out of Jerusalem. He, he confessed the grossness of his sin. He called it perverse. Perverse. Part of the thing that's afflicting the church today is Christians really don't have all that bad an opinion of sin. If they were to be really 100% honest, they don't really have that bad of an opinion of it. Uh, Let me say that until the church starts seeing sin as perverse, we can't expect to have any voice with the world. We have to be willing to view sin as what it is. And when you and I got born again, uh, we quit making excuses for our sin. Uh, we could, quit painting our sin up. We could, quit putting a fresh coat of varnish on it. We just instead said, yeah, God, it's as wicked, as vile, as gross as you said that it is. He confessed the grossness of his sin and he confessed the grief of it. The Bible says this, that the king should take it to his heart. He said, you know, David, I know if you think about what I did that day, it's going to hurt you. It's going to bother you. It's going to offend you and it's going to grieve you. And he says, all I can ask is that somehow in your mercy and your grace, you put that out of your mind. Forgive me of it that day, because I know what I said to you hurt you deeply. You know, when a person comes to Christ, what are they doing? What are they acknowledging? What does that mean? Well, they're acknowledging the guilt of their sin that they've transgressed. The, the the commandments of God, the truth of God, that they are a sinner in need of salvation. They're acknowledging the grossness of their sin, that it's not a plaything, it's not a toy, it's not a light matter, but then they're acknowledging the grief of it. Why did he apologize to David? Because David was the one with whom he had to do. Uh, why does the sinner come to God? Because God's the one they transgressed. God's the one that they've offended. And they come and acknowledge that my sin has been a grief to God. It was shown by his submission, it was shown by his decision. Uh, he says this, the Bible says, For uh, thy servant uh, doth know, verse 20, that I had sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord the King. You know, earlier in this chapter, David, he chides the tribe of Judah for not coming down to meet him and to convey him over to the throne. Here's what he's saying to them earlier in the chapter. He said, you're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Why are you the last tribe to come and meet me and welcome me back as king? Now think about what Shimei says here. Shimei says, I am come down first of the house of Joseph of the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't just saying, hey, I showed up first. He wasn't just merely saying, yeah, I decided to come down here and see what was up. He's saying, I came down here as my official capacity to tell you that the tribe of Benjamin welcomes you as the rightful king over Jerusalem, over Israel. We have come to kiss the ring, to bow the knee, to pledge our fealty before you as our king, as our Lord. Say, preacher, what's a sinner doing when they come to Christ? They're choosing him. They're saying, I'm done with absolute, I'm done with the devil's way of living. Say, preacher, does that mean they'll never get backslid, never get messed up? No, don't tell me that. Cause I got a bunch of, well, I'm not gonna go there. I'll just say, no, here's the reality. You're still a sinner. You still sin. You still make mistakes. But it is true that when a person comes to Christ, they're not coming on a trial basis. Uh, They're not coming just to put him as another little idol on their mantle and allow him a little space in their life. Uh, They're coming to cast down their idols, uh, to turn their back and spit upon the name Absalom, to say, I'm done with that traitor and pretender. And now I owe my allegiance to the true king. I see his repentance. I see his reception. Man... I'm running out of time. Did anybody bring a sandwich? Let's go for two more hours. You ready? Verse 21 says this. But Abishai, the son of Zerai, answered. And this is what he said. Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. By the way, you know, Shimei, or Abishai, he's a picture of the law. That's what he is. He's a picture of the law. Uh, unchanging, unbending, unyielding." Uh, Shimei has cursed you, David, and he deserves to die. That's what he said back in chapter 16. That's what he's still saying now. You know why? Because the Word of God doesn't change. uh, What's right and what's wrong, it doesn't change. Listen to what David said in verse 22. I like this. What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? I see not only Shimei's repentance, I see his reception. David could have said, well, you low-down dog, you snake in the grass, now you come back tail between your legs, you want to beg my forgiveness, forget about it. Go ahead, Abishai, take off his head. That's how I would have done it. Amen, that's good pastoring. Somebody say amen to that. But that's not what David does. David does something amazing here. Abishai, here's what he does. You ready, He He whips out a sword and he steps up. And he says, how dare this dead dog come back here? Shouldn't he die because he's cursed you? So there's Shimei, there's Abishai. Here's what David does. He steps in between them. And he says, Abishai, are you become my adversary? Because if you want to get to him, you're going to have to go through me. Can I say it this way? He received him with a shield of pity. He said, you can only attack him if you'll attack me first. Can I tell you the amazing thing that Christ did at Calvary? The Bible says this. (laughs) He came in the likeness of uh, of sin, uh, of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Here's what He did. He came, He became our sin for us. He bore our punishment on Calvary. The law standing righteously to condemn us and slay us. And the law is not bad. The law is righteous. I'm carnal sold under sin. I deserve to die just like Shimei did. But here's what Christ did. He came and He said, won't you step out of that place of condemnation and stand over here? And I'll step in your place of condemnation and I will bear your sin in my body. Then what happens? Uh, The law comes back and Christ says, right, it's time to condemn you. But Jesus says this: You can't condemn him without condemning me. And I've already died in his place. What an amazing thing that Christ has done! He comes with a shield of pity. Man, there's a thousand verses I could quote. Let me just say: The Lord is my rock; He's my fortress; He's my deliverer; He's my God; He's my strength, in whom I will trust. He is my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. What is he? He's my shield. He stands between me and the righteous wrath that should be poured out upon me. And he says, if you want to get to him, you're going to have to go through me. He came with a shield of pity. Not only that, verse 22, I like this. He said, shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? He came with a show of mercy. He says this, this isn't a day to die. This is a day to live. Listen, I've won the victory today. This isn't a day to die. This is a day to live. And he says this, I don't want anyone else dying. I want everyone else living. He says, I don't want anyone else dying. I want everyone else living. If I had my way, he says, wouldn't nobody die in Israel today. He said, if I had my way, everybody would be saved today in Israel. Kind of reminds me of what the book of 2 Peter says when it says the Lord's not slack. Concerning His promise that some men count slackness, but His long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I see, he he met him with a show of mercy. But then I like this, verse 22, look at the very end, look at this last phrase. He says, for do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? I'd say it this way, he came and he met him with a shield of pity and a show of mercy, but he met him with a shout of victory. He said, uh, Abishai, in case you haven't noticed, the battle's over and I won already. I don't have to kill Shimei to prove I'm king. I'm already king. And now in the strength of that victory, I can pardon Him of His cursing. You know, that's exactly what God did for you and I. In the strength of Calvary's victory, He said, I can pardon you for your sin. I see His reception. And then, this ain't even really preaching. I'm just going to mention this. Don't get nervous. I see His release. Verse 23 it says, Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die." Oh, what a blessed day it was when I heard the sweet voice of God that should have condemned me. That should have sent me to hell. I deserve that. That's what should have happened. That instead spoke peace to me. And said, son, you don't have to win the battle. I've won it for you. All you have to do is come and gather up under my wings. And the victory is yours. That said, the battle is already won. I've already dealt with your sin. I've already dealt with the pretender. I've already dealt with the wrath of God. I've done all that for you. And all you have to do is quit fighting me. Let me say this. If Shimei had been fighting him that day, that would have been the only fight going on that day. You know, when the sinner fights God, his fight is the only fight that's happening. The sinner thinks he's waging a a, a wide-scale war on God. No, he's flying around God like a little gnat. But it's the very mercy of God that says, hey, I don't have to swap Him to prove that I'm God. In my mercy, I can pardon Him and save Him and redeem Him. And so here's what he says. He says, I don't, I don't have to condemn you. I can pardon you now. You know why? Because my throne is secure. My victory is won. My righteousness is established. And all this has been done. And now I can extend to you the pardon that you need. Hey, listen, that's exactly what Calvary is. And then I see his reassurance. Well, I like this. Verse number 23, look at the very end. It says, and the king swear unto him. I swear unto him. Shimei might have thought to himself now, this is good, but what if David changes his mind? It's his right to do it as king. He could decide that he no longer feels that way. What if he changes his mind? Here's what the king did. He said, I'm going to swear an oath between me and God that I pardon you this day and now you are condemned no more. You can go and be free. Don't have to fear that you're going to come into condemnation again because I have sworn unto God It makes me think of Hebrews chapter number 6 when it says when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. It says down in verse 17 of that chapter wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the unchangeability, the unbreakability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things. What are those things? That's God and His Word in the which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation to have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. You say, oh, preacher, I just hope I can hold on. Well, listen, bless your heart. I hope you hold on too, but that ain't what your salvation's contingent upon. It ain't about you holding on to Him. It's about Him holding on to you. Oh, preacher, I hope I can keep all my promises that I've made God. Hey, my salvation ain't based upon my promises, brother Ken. They're based upon His promises. I've got assurance from the King he didn't say, "Shimiana, I know you behave now, and we'll see how this goes. He said, No, I'm making you an ironclad promise uh, that I'll protect you for the rest of my days. I'm making a promise that you're condemned, uh, that, that you are now pardoned, and your condemnation will fall upon you no more. Boy, isn't it good what the Lord's done for us. Here's a man that comes and he's foolish. But before it's all done, he's forgiven. I'm glad God forgives foolish people, or I would have never got in. I'm glad even people like Shimei, a cursed man and a cursing man, can come to Christ and ask for forgiveness. And in the strength of his victory, with a shield of pity and a show of mercy, he can say, I'll forgive you and pardon you in light of the victory I've won at Calvary's Hill. I'm glad, let me summarize it. Somebody said, I wish you would, preacher. I was saying, if you're lost today, you don't have to stay that way. Oh, preacher, I just don't know if I can do all that. Well, quit trying to do. He's already done it for you. Just come to Christ. And let what He's done stand for what you can't do and stand in your place. He'll receive you unto Himself. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. The altar is open this morning. Here's what I think would be a good thing. I think there's probably some folks in here and you're saved, you're born again, you know the Lord. But as I was preaching on Shimei, his hate, his rage, his bitterness, you thought of a name. You thought of a face. You thought of somebody that you could describe. You could call their name out right now before God, and you thought, oh, how they are like Shimei. How they are filled with rage. How they are filled with hate. Shifting blame. Refusing to accept the truth. And my heart is broken for them. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to find a place in this altar. I'd like for you to call their name out to the Lord. Ask God to work in their heart, to work in their mind. Ask God to show them their need of Calvary. For it's not too late. If they draw a breath, it's not too late. So find a place down here and call their name out to the Lord. Ask God work in their life to show them His love and His mercy and His grace before it's too late. And there could be somebody that'd say, Brother Toby, if I'm to be 100% honest with you, and, and let me just say this, you might as well be honest, God knows your heart. If I was to be 100% honest, I'd have to admit, that I don't know that I've ever been saved. You might have come here for a number of reasons today. You might have family getting baptized. Somebody might have invited you. You might have drove by the church today and just thought, hey, uh, maybe I will go check out church, see what church is. Maybe I ought to go and just see what that's like. But you've come today, and God has read your mail. He's spoken to your heart. He's dealt with you. And you'd say, "Brother Toby, if I'm gonna be 100% honest, I'd have to admit that if I died right now, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I die in my sin, or that I that, that I die and go to heaven. I believe I die in my sins. I believe I die without Christ. I don't want to. Now, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make you this promise. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you stand or or call your name or anything like that." but I would like to pray for you. So no one's looking around but me, but you'd say, Brother Toby, I believe I'm lost. I don't want to be. Please pray for me. Slip your hand up where you're at and let me pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I won't call your name. I just want to pray for you. Brother Toby, I believe I'm lost. I don't want to be. Please slip your hand up right where you're at. Let me pray for you. Is there anyone? These are praying. We have all the time we need. Our Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.